there was only one other time that I had more than one page. And that was when we talked about sex. <laughs> There's a lesson here someplace. You can see what happens when you start trying to talk about the body. The truth of God is so simple. It takes very few notes, if any. But when I start going into recipes for coals and backaches and things like that, then uh, it's just amazing how much preparation time it takes. I think the reason is is that when we talk about things like this, to some degree it subverts the truth. Uh, there's a tendency, as it is, to take truth and translate it into behavior. To say, well, since medicine is a form of magic, then I shouldn't take it. Of course, the Course in Miracles says that that does not follow. And it has been believed by many of the people who receive beautiful insights in metaphysics that a certain behavior was called for because of the insight. And this is what's called so much of us uh, a great deal of misery when it comes to our bodies. You might wonder why I would spend two services talking about things like headaches and backaches and so forth. There are people who do not need to hear this kind of talk. There are people who can go ahead and be sick in peace and continue their walk toward God. There are people who can be quite ill and still be kind. But for many of us, to feel distressed in our body is to, at the same time, insulate ourselves from others, to withdraw our compassion, to feel quite cut off and misunderstood and lonely, and therefore to stop our walk home. And anything that comes to my attention that I find is widespread is, is this kind of hindrance, some sort of common roadblock. I want to talk about it because if there's anything I can do to help myself and to help you remove it, then I feel that that's what the function of this church is. The path is very, very simple. We get confused sometimes by these imaginary uh, trees that have fallen across the path that we think we have to climb over. And we get endlessly and hopelessly involved in questions on how to climb over them. What's the best way? And so anything that we can do for each other that allows us to transcend the, these things easily and quickly, I think is a benefit. So that's why uh, we're talking about these kinds of things, because they are so widespread and they're so common and they're so distressing to, to people on a spiritual path. They don't think that they should be experiencing these things. A few Sundays ago, we had our first business meeting. And a man wrote me and said that he had attended the business meeting and it had depressed him so much that he had to go live in a monastery. <laughs> he was writing me from the monastery. 
This is a fact, and the, that man now sits in the audience today. I'm, he's recovered. <laughs> uh, possibly as a New Year's resolution, we can think of no longer having any opinions. Now, what this man was so upset about was that he thought that all of you were very nice spiritual people. <laughs> and then in the business meeting, suddenly he saw these egos. And of course, we all saw each other's ego. It was not an unusual business meeting, and that's the point. It was just a usual business meeting. So if you fill a room with egos, and then you ask the egos opinions on a countless array of issues, you're, of course, going to get ego involvement. This would all be very innocent, except for the fact that we identify ourselves and each other by our opinions. We think, as a man thinketh, he is. But we don't mean thinketh in the sense of what the tone of his heart is, or the mood of his soul, but by what opinion he has at the moment, which, of course, he will change few days and a few months with whatever TV program or book he reads or conversation he gets involved in. So I'd like to suggest that as a New Year's resolution, we make this year different in that we resolve to have no opinions on anything this year. <laughs> to let go of your opinions is to let go of a major part of your ego and to let go of your ego to any degree is to help yourself not only physically, but with your relationships and everything else. It's almost as if the glue that holds this world together are the judgments that we cherish. The reason that a dream seems so important at night and that we're so caught up in it and maybe even reluctant to wake up from the dream is that we are judging the circumstances that take place within the dream. We are thinking that this event is important, that what's going on over here isn't, and that's therefore we're focused on this particular aspect of the dream. Although there's all this backdrop and scenery, just as there is in, in life. There is something that we focus on in the dream. First it's this, and then it's that. And because we believe that within the context of the dream there is good and bad, there is important and unimportant, and there are degrees. We get caught up in the dream, and we continue dreaming. And the reason that we let go of the dream so easily when we wake up is we realize that the whole thing is not important. That there is no judgment to have about it. That there is no opinion to cherish. That it was silly and nonsensical. And that the only thing that was important was the dreamer. Because only the dreamer was alive. And so the opinions that we have and that we express to each other indicates nothing about the life that stands before you. There is no reason to, to argue with someone else's opinion nor to assert your own. To do that is to continue a dream in which one person dreams about you and you dream about the other person. So here you have 
two children of God standing and having dreams about each other. And these take place in the form of opinions or things that we think are important, things that we have gotten our heart caught up in in this world and really think for a moment that it makes a difference. And yet some of the grandest arguments that we have cannot be remembered. Yes, the fight can be remembered, but the issue escapes us. Can't even think what it was. But at the moment, it seemed the most important. It seemed so important that we were actually willing to hurt the feelings of this person. We were actually willing to make them feel stupid or to try to. We were actually willing to step back from this sister or this brother for the sake of this silly opinion. So in 1983, let's have no opinions. This is something that can be worked on. And I'd like to suggest a meditation. If you'd close your eyes for a moment. How do you look upon the world if you have no opinion? You look upon it as if you were the sky. For just a moment now, see what it would be to have an outlook, to have a vision that was as broad and encompassing as the sky. Think for just a moment what it would be like to have a vision, an attitude that was as universal as the light from the sun. Now you are the sun and you shine on everything. You do not hold this ray back from this particular object. Try to put more strength in this other ray that hits this other object. You bless it all, you shine on it all. You're as broad as the sky, as encompassing as the sun. And do you feel how gentle that is? And do you see how no one could fear you? And do you understand how there could be no enemy in something so all accepting? It is only the awareness of the body that makes love seem limited. That's from A Course in Miracles. Page 364, text. <laughs> the lines aren't numbered, so we can't do that. That's why we're not a real church here. I wish I could tell you the exact line and paragraph, but A Course in Miracles is not done that way. It's only the awareness of the body that makes love seem limited. And the body, the Course in Miracles says, is merely part of your experience in the physical world. Page 20, text. <laughs> your body is merely part of your experience in the physical world. Isn't that true of last night? Whatever body you had in the dream... Whatever body you had, it was just part of the dream, wasn't it? It was no more or no less. We must come 
to treat even the dream as a friend. So we must be kind even to the dream. It is in being kind to the dream that we will relinquish it and cease judging it. So it's in not fighting our body and thinking that it has somehow betrayed us because it's that time of the month or because it's that time of our life or because of the weather conditions or because the party calls for our looking a certain way and by gosh, we don't look that way. We looked that way seven years ago and then suddenly it happened and right before our eyes as we looked in the mirror. It, and, and so we, we fight our body. It ought to be able to do this. But let's look at what the body cannot do for anyone, almost anyone. There are very few exceptions to these things. Many forms of life do not have to. I went to the dentist recently. I went to a new dentist. And uh, I was given six things to do. I was told that my teeth were in very good shape. I was told uh, a special way to brush my teeth at a 45 degree angle, in which you don't lift the brush. You just put it against the gum and the teeth and you just do little circular motions. That's number one. Then I was given a strange new age toothbrush. It's very, very small. It looks like a the hair that would come out of a pimple or, or of something, you know, the, or of a mole, that kind of thing. And that was to use between my teeth. And then in addition to that, I was to brush my tongue. Can you believe this? I was to brush my tongue. I was to massage my gums with my finger. Uh, I was to floss, and I was told exactly how to floss in a C shape and how many times to go in and out. And then I was told that I must rinse with warm salt water afterwards. Now, if I were a German shepherd, this would not be necessary. <laughs> and yet I accept this. <laughs> Any evening about uh, 10 or 11 o'clock, you will find me doing six things in my bathroom. <laughs> and I don't complain about this because I realize that this is just the way it is, being a human being. Uh, it's the way teeth are. And I wish to keep my teeth, and therefore I do it. Now, hair, if you were a German shepherd, you wouldn't have to comb your hair. And um, <laughs> if you were a puppy dog or a kitty cat, you wouldn't have to comb your hair. Um, and hair is it's just amazing. It, uh, human beings, our hair gets thinner and grayer as we as we go along. Right now, mine is jumping off my head as if it were lemmings. Uh, now, uh, every time it gets around a comb or a bathtub, whoopee! It's, you know, <laughs> they play a last one in as a rotten egg. <laughs> now, there are actually things you can do to keep your hair. I don't know if you know this. One of them is called hair popping. And if you want to go through that, if you want to go have your hair popped, and you want to pay the big bucks that, it, that you have to pay to have this done, and you want to keep this up, 
you can keep your hair. Now, if you stop the treatments, it goes right back to, however, genetically your program. I have a friend who had his hair popped, and then he finally got tired with it and decided he'd rather be bald and not spend all that time. Um, I'm, I'm in that category. I'm just, I'm not, see, with my teeth, I think I'll keep them, but with my hair, it's all right, doesn't matter. Uh, human beings, we, we, human beings smell. Sorry to tell you this, but we have to take a bath fairly frequently. Not as frequently, I'm told, as the Europeans, but Americans have to bathe very frequently. And uh, once again, if you were a lizard or something, you wouldn't have to do this. But you don't complain about it. That's a limitation. We just accept that. We accept pain in certain situations that, that most forms of life don't have. We accept uh, the limited vision that we have, the 2020 vision that many forms of life greatly exceed. There's something you can do about that. There's the whole Bates-Huxley program that you can do. If you want to keep that up, you want to spend the time doing all the things that uh, Dr. Bates and Aldous Huxley discovered, you can... Uh, I did this for a while. There was about uh, two years there. I brought my vision up quite uh, remarkably, but I didn't want to continue it any longer. So I will eventually don glasses or something like that. It doesn't. It's more peaceful for me to do that. It doesn't matter whether you do the Bates-Huxley or whether you have the glasses. It's whatever is the most peaceful thing to do. Our strength is quite limited. You don't have as much strength in your whole body as an elephant has in its trunk. I see you're not depressed by this. No one's hanging their head, do you see? <laughs> and we think that we're omnivorous. But uh, if you were a good old boy from Texas, you can see it by my card coat. See, if you live on a farm, you call this a card coat. You don't call this corduroy. And you wouldn't actually... This is the wrong... See, the city people put the leather the wrong side out and call it sway. They just don't know which way to face it. But if you had uh, spent a lot of time on a farm like I pretend to have, then, <laughs> then you would think that you can't eat anything compared to a chicken uh, or to a goat or to a hog. I mean, you haven't seen eating until you see a goat or a hog. They will eat tin or glass or sticks or anything else. And yet we think that because we cannot eat as much as so-and-so or we can't eat the particular thing that another person can, that somehow this is a spiritual limitation. We must break through this and we must concentrate on this kind of thing. We have to wear clothes. Corker doesn't have to wear clothes. You wouldn't know that term, but that comes from the little corkscrew tail that a pig has. And uh, so if you'd call a hog a porker or a porker, or, or you would say what I'm saying is hoggerel or hogwash. Uh, but we, we accept it. We have to wear the clothes. German shepherds don't have to wear clothes. And we accept that we have to sleep. And we accept that uh, we have uh, a lifespan less than a parrot. And no one complains about this. As a matter of fact, you'll actually hear people say, uh, I can't complain. I've had 92 wonderful years. And then they drop dead. 
<laughs> but we would complain if we uh, were a redwood. All this is based on judgments and comparisons. Any distress, any limitation that we sense about the body is based on a comparison that we are making with some other person or what we assume to be the general condition. And it's completely arbitrary. And it therefore has no grounds. And it will shift with whatever we are comparing it with. And so we rail against our energy level and we rail against having to wear glasses and having to have a period and having to do all these different things. Somehow we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to go through it with the particular symptoms that we go through with it. Now, if we could look on coals and indigestion and headaches and gaining weight and depression in the same way, then we would see it in perspective and it would not distress us. To be a body in a world of bodies is to some time in your life have indigestion, to have a cold, to have a headache, to gain weight, or to be depressed. Almost no one escapes that at some time in their life, and most people have it a lot. And yet somehow we think we are not supposed to have this. We must see the body as a friend. We must realize that the body is going to go through whatever it's going to go through, and that to complain against it, to fight against it, to somehow try to shape it into something that it's not, creates a useless battle that has nothing to do with the peace of God. Why then would I give recipes on these things, which I'm going to do in just a minute? Because people do get caught up in these various forms of distress, these very common ones, and they look away from their heart and they look away from their true purpose and they begin a very subtle mental diatribe against what they think they are. And so if we can lessen what we think of as the distress of these sort of common ailments, these common things, then perhaps we can walk a little more gently. Perhaps we can be a little gentler with ourselves. And in that way, perhaps we can do in 1983 what we have not yet done. And that is, we can make our goal to join with other people rather than to try to find ceaseless avenues of separating ourselves and distinguishing ourselves from other people. Maybe we can find a way to be comfortable around other people, around relatives, around children, around what we think are people of a different age than us, or a different race, or a different opinion. Maybe we can find a way to put our arms around them. Because we have let loose a little of this preoccupation with what we think we are, this particular thing with two legs that walks upright, 
has a few years and has an occasional cold, a twinge in its back, every once in a while gets depressed, and a hundred other things. I'm going to talk about four different approaches to these ailments. You can use any of them. I'm going to give a recipe which is very much like uh, the recipe I told you last time for how to cook a turkey. So I'm going to talk turkey about these things. And you have to understand that this is not the truth of God. These are just some, some suggestions, things that you might do. This might work or it might not. I'm going to talk about the use of imagery because many people find that helpful. And I'm going to discuss one way to give what's commonly known in the metaphysical movement as a treatment. Now, my tradition, I was a Christian science practitioner when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. I was in the telephone book, had an office downtown and so forth. I uh, had very few customers. <laughs> uh, but I went through all the things that you're supposed to do to learn how to give a metaphysical treatment, such as class instruction and so forth. I'm familiar to some degree with the other approaches to treatment, such as Ernest Holmes and so forth. But I'm, rather than going into a long discussion on how to give yourself a treatment, I'm just going to give you the, the way I would give a treatment if I were going to give myself a treatment. I don't give myself treatments any longer. I find for myself that there's a more peaceful way of doing it. But it can be extremely helpful, and if you wish to use it as a tool, I'd like you to know at least a few general rules. Now, if you want to study more about this, there are many other approaches to how to give a treatment. I would warn you, though, that you, all you need to do is to find your own way of giving a treatment, whatever you're comfortable with. There is no magical way. There is no perfect way, and there is no perfect cure to any of these things. You just find something that makes the situation more peaceful and allows you to be kinder within it. And then the last thing that I'm going to do with each of these things is I'm going to give you a mantra to use uh, because that can be very helpful to some people. Now, there are many other things that can be used, but let's just talk about those. First of all, let me give you a general recipe for any of these common ailments on a physical level. The first and most important is to give yourself time. Whenever you get sick in any way, or whenever you feel distressed physically in any way, your body is sending you a, a signal, and you need to understand nothing more about it than this. It is saying, slow down or stop. If you will not read anything more into the signal than that, my body is telling me to slow down or to stop, to cut out this insanity, then you will respond properly. But if you go into some sort of fancy explanation to yourself as to why you got sick, notice that you merely increase the fear level within your heart when you do this. So the first general recipe is rest. And often this means just sitting in a chair or getting a good book and lying in bed or not going to work or not going on the trip or whatever it may be for a while. The second general recipe is to eat simply. 
So you have a sense of what is good for you to eat, and you take partake moderately of what you think is good for you to eat. The third thing is to exercise enough that you will have a sense of well-being. Now, this is almost impossible for an American to do. You put any American on an exercise program and they will inevitably overdo it. There is never a reason for you to have a strained muscle or a sore muscle. If that is ever the case, it, it was not necessary. It's all right, but it wasn't necessary. So you don't exercise in order to attain some imaginary state, but just enough to have a sense of well-being. And that you can do anyway. You may want to dance around a few moments in the morning, or you may want to do a few calisthenics, or you may like to walk. But notice that there is, a, there is an amount of exercise that's different than everyone else in the world that gives you a sense of well-being. And also notice that if you go beyond this, you start causing yourself problems, which you will not classify as sickness. But, of course, they attract your attention to your body the same as if you were ill. And so where's the gain in that? And the last thing may seem strange, but this can help in almost any difficulty you have with the one exception possibly of uh, an upset stomach. And that is to drink more water. Why? Because we are dealing in this world in symbols. That's why you eat the foods that you have faith in. Not because one food is more healthy than another, but if you have faith in it, it's more healthy because your faith has an effect. And you stay away from the foods that you're afraid of, not because it's rational, but because the fear has an effect. We are dealing only with thought. This world is composed entirely of thought. The body is composed entirely of thought. And so when you choose between foods or choose between exercises, you're choosing between your own thoughts, and all you have to do is to look at them and to see which ones are peaceful and which ones are agitated. Which ones have a question? Which ones stir you up a little bit or scare you slightly? And so you choose the things in this world that make you peaceful, not because they have more peace, but because your belief system gives them more peace or gives them more fear. And water happens to be a universal symbol of purity. Almost everything, every mineral and everything else will dissolve in water. We use water all during the day, you might become conscious of this, to purify in a hundred different ways. And so it has that symbolism. There may be someone that has a negative association with water, and if you are such a person, then uh, this wouldn't hold true. But all, with almost everyone, it is such a powerful symbol that to simply drink more water will, in fact, help you with your back problem. Or your cold or any other distress that you have. That is Turkey. It's not the truth of God. I'm not talking about the truth of God now when I talk about these things. A generic imagery would be to surround in light. 
this would be a universal way of using an imagery. We'll talk about other imageries in just a moment. But that is very simple, very basic, and almost everyone can do this. Before you do something for your body, take the pill or soak in the tub or whatever, turn on the vaporizer or whatever you do, first bless the part of your body that you think it will affect. Surround it in light, then do the thing that you think will help. And as you do it, if you can rest and continue surrounding it in light, you are dealing with thought. And this has a gentle effect. But do not try to bring about a physical change. Just do it to bring about an internal change. It is more peaceful to surround in light than it is to surround in fear or to surround in questions or to surround in terror or predictions or past associations. You cannot associate if you're surrounding in light because the association is already there. And it's a universal one. You came from light, and light is the thing that you will see when you die. You will have an experience with light. And many times in this little walk between birth and death, you will have a light experience. And to your body, it will seem like light. In your heart, it will be something that you might call light, but it has no relationship to light from light bulbs or burning pieces of uh, hydrogen in the sky. And then the mantra. Here are a few generic mantras. That's just uh, to uh, simply say the word God. This is very universal. Many people die saying the word Ram over and over. Saying the word Allah over and over. To say the word God, just close your eyes and say the word God. It's a beautiful, beautiful mantra. Or any other word that goes to your heart and softens your spirit so that you can feel it relaxing and comforting you and making you a kinder person for the moment. So any word like that. The word father is that way for many people. The word love is that way. I particularly like the words love and the words peace. I will say them a lot to myself. And then there, I'll just give you a few others that I use myself. But you will find your own little phrase. There is no perfect phrase. Don't look for a perfect phrase. Just look for one that has a gentling effect on you. So here are a few. I and my father are one. Has a lot of meaning for people. I am not a body. I am free. For I am in God who cradles me. Just say that over and over. I rest in God. I rest in peace. Love is all there is. And love made me love. Peace is all there is, and peace made me peace. And then you can add any other word that you want. All released, all is peace. That's a forgiveness one. All released, all is peace. All is still, 
all is quiet, all is God. Those are a few that I, I like. But I just take whatever comes to my mind when I'm using something like that, some gentle words, and I try not to pay too much attention to the words, but to the road that the words are traveling me on. So the words take you to a place, take you to a feeling, take you to an emotion. An emotion that's unlike any bodily emotion. Emotion that has no limits, that includes everything. So it takes you to a degree of comfort that you did not have. It may not be a perfect degree of comfort, but it's more comfort. Do the words bring more comfort? Then they are good words. Use them. The treatment I didn't cover, generic treatment, you just deny what the ego says, and you affirm what you believe in your heart. There's nothing more to that. There's all sorts of ways to do that, but you just deny what is clearly from your ego. By deny it, you see that it's from your ego. You just attribute it to its actual source. That's what it means to deny. You cannot hate and love someone at the same time. That's coming from two different things. And so in your heart, you know that you love this person, even though consciously you have no evidence of it. But in your heart, you know that you love this person, so you affirm what you know to be in your heart, and you deny what is clearly from your ego, that you think they should be wiped out, or whatever. I believe that most of you have now arrived at a point at which you can try harder than you've been trying. You can try harder to be happy. You can try harder to be more relaxed. That seems like a contradiction, but it's a different kind of trying, a different breed of trying. You can now look at the problems that your particular body appears to have, and in gentleness and in quietness, you can deal with them. You can make your ego disappear can make your opinions begin to disappear. And finally, you can make your body, even your body itself, begin to fade from your awareness so that you can be filled with love, so that you can be more kind. In this coming year, as a family and as individuals, let us resolve to make love more than just a concept. Let us try to be actively kind. Let us see how many situations we can try to be kind in where we have not been kind in before. Let us look at our tired old reactions. But let us not monitor ourselves. Our awareness now is as broad as the sky. And we see what is ego and what comes from our heart in this broadness. So we are not in, on guard. There is no fear attached to this. There's this very gentle, steady, calm gaze that we are developing. It shines like a light from our forehead, perhaps, or our heart, or from above. A steady, steady calmness, a calm, kind compassionate and very happy gaze that looks on all things. 
And it says, I think I will do something about this. Often it is not understood that as we become closer to God, we will actually take care of more things than we did before. Because we realize in our peace and in our seeking to give peace to others, that it is actually happier to do the task than it is to let the task go undone. So what people imagine will happen to them if they do nothing but pursue, pursue peace, which is that they'll just sit in a bathtub or something, is just the opposite. You will begin taking care of things very easily because you will see it makes other people happy for you to do this. And it makes your life run more smoothly. And so let us resolve in this coming year to be kind to one another, to devote ourselves to happiness. It is a fact that there are only two things that we have been asked to do and the thousand and one things that we assume that we must do are of no importance whatsoever. To be happy and to be kind. And you put happiness and kindness together and you have peace. So to be at peace, to walk in peace, to talk to your neighbor in peace, to fix your meals in peace, to go to bed in peace, and to care for your body in peace, is to have the love of God grow in your heart.